Welcome to Engaging History. My name is Christopher Kinsella, author of Chain of Deception. I'm a professor of history at Cuyahoga Community College in Northeast Ohio. My podcasts are not endorsed by any individual or organization. This podcast is my opinion and interpretation of the historical events that I will discuss. The purpose of the podcasts are in general to discuss American and world history in a way that engages you and explains so much of the country and the world around you. But I also discuss it in a way that is understandable and interesting. We continue on our series in the second half of world history with podcast number 23. In our 22nd podcast, we finished off our conversation about the rise of Adolf Hitler, how he consolidated power, and perhaps some of the most alarming things that I went over in that podcast, the 22nd one, was how America was receiving and reacting to the policies of Adolf Hitler. Again, becoming 1938 Time Magazine's Man of the Year, being nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize in 1939. So here we begin our 23rd podcast, and it is the beginning, therefore, of what becomes known as the Second World War. So the origins of the Second World War, simply put, is territorial acquisition. Mussolini in Italy was looking to recreate the lost empire going back to the Roman Empire. Truly, those were his words. That was in his policy to reclaim the land, to aggregate all of that land that once comprised the Roman Empire. Ladies and gentlemen, on the map today, that would comprise over 35 different countries. It was a colossally deceptive dream with practically no basis in reality. Adolf Hitler clearly was acquiring more and more territory, as we will talk about in a few moments, but also Japan was also gobbling up vast amounts of territory in the Pacific Rim and eastern part of Asia. So remember, too, that specifically, because we're going to zero back in here on Germany, as it is largely regarded as the culminating point, or the beginning point, I should say, of the beginning of the Second World War. September 1st, 1939, with Hitler's Operation K-Swite, the invasion of Poland. So remember, therefore, before we start, before we get to that point, remember again that the Treaty of Versailles was debilitating the German economy. It was forcing a population to listen to anybody that would promise them better economic times, get off the the egg off of their face due to the international repercussions of the Treaty of Versailles. Remember again, ladies and gentlemen, that Hitler's ultimate goal was the defeat of Bolshevism, was the elimination of the communist threat from the Soviet Union. And if you think that that was a ridiculous goal, if you think that he had nothing to worry about, consider this. Hitler's foreign policy eventually will be adopted by another country in the 1940s, and it will be the cornerstone of that country's foreign policy from the close of the Second World War all the way through to Christmas Day, 1991, when the Soviet Union no longer exists. And that country is none other than the United States of America. 
So again, remember those two central points, the Treaty of Versailles coupled with Hitler's goals. Remember now that through the ballot box and or through the Constitution of the Weimar Constitutional Allowances, he is the Fuhrer of Germany. So now that Hindenburg is no longer there to impede Hitler's ambition, he begins to start reclaiming territory back under the German flag. Remember, too, that if nothing more you pulled out of the 22nd or the last podcast, remember again that Hitler is a master at baby steps. So Hitler, upon becoming the Fuhrer, doesn't immediately invade Poland. He won't do that for over five years after he becomes Fuhrer. No, 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 no. There's too much other work that needs to be done first, far more important to his goals. So the first is to reclaim that precious economic territory known as the Tsar Basin and the Ruhr Valley. Recall that both of those territories were put under the French flag as outlined in the Treaty of Versailles until Germany paid its debt back. Well, Germany's debt wasn't paid back. In fact, Hitler will now suspend payments. But at the same time, he marches the German army, the Nazi army, into the Tsar Basin and the Ruhr Valley. He marches the army in perfect disciplined lockstep formation. He sends in tanks. He sends in other military weaponry. But not one shot is fired. In fact, Hitler's orders to his top commanders is that if the French resist militarily, they are to turn back. They are to rescind their mission and turn around and come back, to, to go back into German territory. In fact, to make sure that the German army obeyed his Hitler's orders, there was no ammunition. There was no ammunition in the tanks or in the guns or cannons. They essentially were weaponless. Even though they were holding the physical weapons themselves, there was no ammunition. Unfortunately, consider the genius of this, though. That it, when Hitler sent those forces in, one of two things could happen. One, the most likely, is that the French would fire upon the Germans. But can you imagine the reaction in the international community? Can you imagine the reaction when Hitler would then perfectly be able to prove that the French fired on an unarmed neighboring military force? Hitler would point out that none of his weaponry had any ammunition inside, that it was nothing more than a military exercise, and that the Germans were once again victims of international aggression. Hitler would totally come out on top if that scenario played out, which again was most likely. However, what plays out is the exact opposite. Not only do the Germans, did the French not put any military resistance, they only pay a token political resistance to these military maneuvers and ultimately relent and withdraw from the Tsar Basin and the Ruhr Valley. So Hitler once again has those precious coal and other ores that are going to be mined there that are now back under the German flag. He has that beautiful Ruhr Valley with all the wheat fields and everything else grown there. And not one shot was fired. No international repercussions even. Do you see what I'm talking about with baby steps? He puts a couple of steps in. 
He monitors the international reaction. When more or less he's given the green light by default, not getting the red light, he is now that much stronger. The nation of Germany is now that much stronger. Now he turns his attention from the southwest to the southeast, the country of Austria or the Austrian government is annexed next, annexed next in 1938 through parliamentary elections when the Nazis won the most political seats in Austria. So Austria is now flying the Nazi flag. And once again, not one shot was fired. Then the eastern half of Czechoslovakia is also brought in under political maneuvering once again with no shots fired. So as this plays out through the next several months after, in years actually, after Hitler ascends the full throne as the Fuhrer of Germany, notice how much territory he is taking back and he has yet to spend a dime on ammunition. The political repercussions at this point are not even noteworthy. However, the country of Great Britain deems that perhaps enough is enough. Neville Chamberlain, the then Prime Minister of Great Britain, demands to meet Adolf Hitler in London to discuss his latest occupations as well as his future political goals. In other words, Chamberlain was summoning Hitler to London. Hitler said, no, I'm happy to meet with you, but I'm not going there. You come here. Chamberlain demanded a second time. Hitler resisted. Hitler then was told that Chamberlain then wants to meet him at a neutral location in either France or Switzerland. Once again, Hitler resists. Ultimately, the two meet face to face and they work out an agreement. And the name of that agreement is named after the city in which the two men were meeting. And that city is none other than Munich, a city where I had the luxury of being able to travel to three times for several days each time. Just a beautiful, beautiful city in the southeastern part of Germany. And there in that city is where Hitler demanded to meet Chamberlain if there was going to be a meeting. Do you see again, though, the way that Great Britain, or in other words, international leaders, are acquiescing to Hitler's demands? Who cares where they meet? But in fact, the tit for tat and the way the two went back and forth was demonstrating once again that Hitler could push these international leaders around. So Neville Chamberlain, yes, he did relent. So by the time Hitler met with him face to face, Chamberlain, to our knowledge, had no idea what he was in for. In fact, when the two met and Hitler was told that there was going to be a demand, that there would be no more acquisition of any more territory, no use of any future military force should Hitler think about going down that route. All of that Hitler would have to sign that he would not do. The papers were put in front of Germany, in front of Hitler, of which he was to sign on behalf of his country. Hitler pushed 
the papers aside gently and pointed to the map of Europe. And specifically, his index finger went down on a specific spot, the eastern half, excuse me, the western half of the country of Czechoslovakia, known as the Sudetenland. Hitler wants that. Give me that, I give you the signature on the Munich Agreement. Chamberlain naturally scoffed at that. Absolutely not. Heck, there weren't even representatives from Czechoslovakia there. That's out of the question. And the peace meeting largely was threatened to break off right then and there. So the two went back and forth with Chamberlain verbally demanding and Hitler silently simply pointing to the map time and time again. After a few more days, Hitler signed the agreement, what became known again as the Munich Agreement. And at the bottom was the stated agreement that Hitler would be able to occupy the western half of Czechoslovakia. Yes, listeners, Chamberlain sold out the Czechoslovakians to appease Hitler. Do you see that by the time this document is signed in 1938, do you see that Hitler had already acquired the Tsar Basin, the Ruhr Valley, Austria, Eastern Czechoslovakia, then Western Czechoslovakia? That's five major tracks of land on this planet, on that European continent that Hitler had acquired. And technically, that conflict called World War II hasn't even started. Chamberlain, despite having sold out the Czechoslovakians, Chamberlain went back to Great Britain, back to London, where later on other aides aides to Chamberlain would admit that he thought he could possibly go down as the 20th century's greatest statesman because he waving he chamberlain waving that agreement in his hand said peace has will continue peace in our time because of that agreement winston churchill largely scoffed at by most of the higher ups in great britain's powers that be because of his significant disaster when he was first Lord of the Admiralty in World War I and lost a significant portion of the British Navy in Turkey, again, during the First World War. Nevertheless, he went on record as stating, quote, England has been offered a choice between war and shame. She has chosen shame and we will get war, end quote. Sadly, that prediction by Winston Churchill, unfortunately, came out to be true. So with the international community, once again, pushed back by Adolf Hitler, he then checks with his neighbor to the east, none other than Joseph Stalin, as Soviet Premier of the Soviet Union, to remember of the Rapallo Agreement, and then whips out what becomes known as the Non-Aggression Pact. That would be a pact between the Nazi Germany 
and the Soviet Union. Please know that Stalin was not too quick to agree to that. Why would I agree not to attack you? When in fact I know how much military equipment I'm already harboring for you. You want that equipment for something. And how do I know it's not to attack me? Hitler assured Stalin that if he, Stalin, moves his military to the western border, neighboring him, the Soviet Union, and Poland, that Hitler will attack Poland. And shortly after he does, he's asking the Soviet Union to attack from the east, and they would divvy up the country of Poland. With that, Stalin agreed. With all of those ducks in order, with every diplomatic card pulled out of Hitler's hand, with every ace up his sleeve already down, he then drew up the plans for what became known as Operation Case White, the invasion of Poland. That would begin in the early, early hours of September 1st, 1939. As that day, September 1st, dragged on, this would be the first time that the global community would realize the sad and brutal effectiveness of what becomes known, of what became known as Blitzkrieg. Blitz, Blitzkrieg, as you probably know, is the German word for what became known as lightning war. War, of course, self-explanatory. Lightning happened so fast, it's almost like it was a flash. Blitzkrieg, or lightning war, defined is a combination of naval, air, and ground forces to be coordinated collectively to one particular area and to invade them with a terrifying, overwhelming force. Please note, just for the record here, though, Hitler did not come up with the term Blitzkrieg, nor did he come up with the idea. The idea for a lightning war, ironically enough, will come out, from, well, it came from his future enemy, Great Britain. It was Sir Basil, Sir Basil Lydelhart, or Lylehart, depending upon your pronunciation, on the which side of the pond you're on, but... Hart was the one that drew up the plans for a possible attack by using a series of tanks followed by foot soldiers supported by airplanes and, dependent upon how close they are to the water, supported by the Navy. It was an ingenious idea, truly. That plan, devised in the prior decade, 1923, really should not have been any surprise. After all, the international community was horrified to see, sadly, how effective tanks could be and the preliminary airplanes could be in the closing days of World War I. So what's to stop any one country from pushing the envelope of technology and combining a land, air, and naval force all together? But nobody really wanted to hear about Basil's Lidlehart's idea. That was talking about a war that was past us, past them now. The war to end all wars. 
is what the slogan was of the great war, war was known for. We only know of the great war, the war 1914 to 1918, as World War I only after World War II starts. So nobody was interested to hear any of what this former commander had to say when it came to a potential future conflict, because the war to end all war was just that, the final conflict, albeit a global one. So let's put the past behind us as they march into the future. And once again, Britain, France, and I'm not just picking on those countries, the United States as well, the victors of that prior conflict drove into the future with their eyes locked on the rearview mirror, having no idea what was going on ahead of them had they only looked out through the windshield. It was the losers of that conflict, the Soviet Union, Italy, Germany. They are the ones, specifically Germany, that was so destitute that as they drove into the future, all they could do was look through the windshield. Mind you, then, they prepare for the next war, while the former winners of the prior conflict are reminiscing about the last conflict as they pat one another themselves and one another on the back with their eyes locked on the rearview mirror. It would be the collision of these two groups of superpowers that would play out in is what is now starting World War II. After the unbelievable success, Poland unfortunately having zero chance to defend itself, anti-enemy batteries, didn't know whether to shoot at oncoming tanks, aircraft coming down from above, or depending upon how far they were to the coast, to shoot at the German Navy coming in from the Baltic Sea. They had no idea which way to turn. So as a result of that, they were quickly overwhelmed, and no surprise, 17 days later, on September 17th, Russia then invaded Poland, sandwiching what remaining Polish forces were there, were there and ultimately defeated the country. The country of, German, of Poland was brought down in literally as little as three weeks' time. Operation Case White, Hitler's first use of the entire Nazi war machine, could not be considered anything else but a success through Hitler's own evil eyes. Now that his eastern border was secure, he would then turn his eyes to the next prize, Operation Case Yellow, the invasion of the Benelux countries, as well as, of course, France. Before we get there, though, and this is difficult to do on the podcast, I get this, but I encourage you, when you have time, even if you want to pause the podcast here, and pull up a map of, of Europe, a map of the world, and specifically type in, you know, Google search, for example, or Yahoo, whatever search engine you want to use, but just put a map of Europe, 19, 1939 map of Europe. And if you look at that map, what you would see is that Poland was a decent-sized country, and Poland was smack in the middle of Germany and the Soviet Union, as was Austria, as was Czechoslovakia. What Stalin had no idea of is that Hitler's ultimate aggression was going to be shown against the Soviet Union. 
it was going to be against Stalin himself. Stalin at one time could feel safe because he had those buffer countries of Poland, Austria, Czechoslovakia, and Italy further south, no more. Mussolini and Hitler are in bed together. They formed a common pact. That's what became known as the Axis power. On the line from Rome in Italy north to Berlin in Germany, on that axis the European continent would spin, if not the world according to some propagandists and for the Allies. However, what Stalin didn't realize is by invading the so by invading Poland, he was brought he was blowing through a significant number of men, soldiers, spending a lot of unnecessary dollars, depleting his coffers, and making himself weaker with Germany now the Soviet Union's next door neighbor. That was the ultimate goal. Now, if you're still looking at that map and listening to this podcast at the same time, I, I have a feeling I know what you're thinking. Well, if that's Hitler's ultimate goal, he has brought his enemy closer, literally to right next door. Why is Hitler even bothering with Operation Case Yellow, the invasion of the Benelux country in France? For the same reason, he's going to have to reluctantly initiate Operation Sea Lion the invasion of Great Britain. Hitler cannot throw all of his forces at the Soviet Union. Remember that in comparison to size, Germany versus the Soviet Union, there is no comparison in size. The Soviet Union is massive, spanning well over 11 time zones. That is not an easy country that you're going to simply kick once and expect it to fall over. Hitler is going to need soldiers numbering in the millions and dollars numbering in the billions. He's going to need that, and he cannot worry about his back door. He cannot worry about what's happening west of Germany when he ultimately attempts to sink his teeth into the Soviet Union for his ultimate operation, that named Barbarossa. So, if by chance, dependent upon the type of education you had in grammar school, high school, and even college, you could say, yeah, Chris, I think that's a real stretch. Because still, why, why waste all of those resources occupying the Benelux country as well as all of France? And therein lies the proof that I'm right. Hitler never occupied all of France. He had no interest in occupying all of France. He didn't need to. All Hitler wanted was to be sure that none of his European counterparts west of him could launch some kind of counter-assault against him. He had to be sure that those countries were underneath his feet. And by extension, he had to be sure that all of his borders on the Western European continent were completely secure. And again, if you're still doubting me, Look at ultimately the countries that Hitler occupied. If we start from the north, we'll see that it was Norway, not Sweden, not Finland, just Norway. Why? Because Norway is a western coast along the North Sea. He then did not want to dominate England, but he wanted a non-aggression pact with them and for them to surrender their navy, which of course they refused to do. If they had, there would never have been an attack on London. And in terms of France, 
As long as France agrees not to attack Germany, they can then have their own part of southeastern country of France called Vichy France. If you look that up, that was also known as Free France. That is the part of France that did not have to fly the Nazi flag. As long as they surrendered their weaponry and surrendered their Jews and gave up their coast of the English Channel and the Bay of Biscay, Hitler was satisfied. Going further down the European continent map, you'll see Spain. Spain he wasn't even worried about at all, nor Portugal. You might say, wait a minute, that's a huge opening down there. Oh, admittedly. And if you look at a topographical map of the European continent, you'll see why Hitler wasn't worried about it. He felt he had adequate protection from that beautiful yet massive and dangerous set of mountains called the Pyrenees. That's huge set of mountain range that separates Spain from France. With the French coast secure all the way up to Norway and England under the Nazi thumb, only then would Hitler feel confident enough to launch Arbor Operation Barbarossa, the invasion of the Soviet Union. So again, that's the rationale, that's the reason why Hitler was actually attacking to the West when his ultimate prize lay in the East. So on May 10th, 1940, Operation Case Yellow began with Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg being invaded and subjugated truly within a matter of days. France was invaded from almost all fronts and could pose very little, if any, resistance. Wait a minute, you say. France couldn't see this coming? France could not anticipate that maybe this Adolf Hitler might not be the choir boy that some international leaders are painting him out to be? Technically, you'd be right. France was prepared for a German onslaught, and they poured millions and millions and millions of dollars into a world-class defense system against Germany that would hold off a German invasion permanently when in fact it was overrun by the Germans truly in a matter of hours. And that's what we'll begin with in the next podcast. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments, please go to my website. Otherwise, have a great day and we'll see you in the next podcast, number 24, as we continue our discussion of World War II.